Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me on episode 44 of the show about the show. My name is Devlin Clark, as always, I'm the creator and host of the podcast. I've been taking a little bit of a break from doing the podcast, been dealing with some um, personal issues, and I want to thank everybody who has been kind enough to stick around and continue to listen to the podcast and to support it. And to everybody, I say Happy Rusev Day, as well as Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and I hope that you guys get to spend it with your family. I have a great show tonight, episode 44. I have Pirates beat writer John Parado. He is a writer for Baseball Prospectus. He also writes on the Baseball Prospectus daily column on ESPN Insider, as well as living in Pittsburgh and being a voting member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. We will talk everything Pirates. We're going to touch on the NL Central, the Chris Archer trade, and who John thinks should and should not be in the Hall of Fame. We're going to do a little, will he get elected or won't he get elected? We'll get his feelings also on Harold Baines being elected to the Hall of Fame as well. We'll get his feelings on that. Have another episode coming up here in um, the week after Christmas. I'm going to take a little Christmas vacation. Might take a break into the new year. Haven't uh, finalized with the guest yet as to when they're going to be able to come on. But... um, definitely going to be ending season one here quickly. Um, It's probably going to be by the end of the year. Uh, We'll take a couple of weeks off, get get things lined up, and you do not want to miss what I have in store for the next Collector's Corner. I have something in the pipeline that is historic. Let's put it that way. It's... uh, it's an interview that you are not going to want to see. You are not going to want to miss, and it is with one of the biggest companies in the world in terms of the hobby and collecting and all that kind of stuff. So, you do not want to miss that. Getting into the hot stove season here, it is wrapping up. Today is the twentieth of December, Thursday. And I am um, wait. Uh, we're gonna have we're gonna bring John on here momentarily. Um, the hot stove hasn't really been all that hot lately. It's kind of been the tepid and lukewarm stove. Still waiting for the big fish to fall. That would be Bryce Harper, obviously, and Manny Machado. Machado met today with the Phillies, and I'm sure John can get into that a little bit as well, but Bryce Harper and Manning Shadow, as of this recording on December 20th, are still the two biggest fish to fall in the free agency market. 
Without any further ado, I am happy, pleased, and incredibly honored to bring on Pirates beat writer, John Parado. How you doing today, John? Thanks for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. So let's get started. Um, how did you start writing for Baseball Prospectus? Well, I covered baseball. I actually started in 1988 with my first year on the beat covering Pittsburgh Pirates for the Beaver County Times uh, newspaper in Pittsburgh. And uh, I had uh, an interest in sabermetrics and statistics and things. And uh, I met a couple of people who worked for Baseball Prospectus winter meetings, and uh, they asked me if I wanted to give it a try and kind of blend traditional baseball coverage with uh, with statistical analysis, and uh, that's how it got started. Now, you've been writing for Baseball Prospectus and the Baseball Daily column on ESPN's Insider. What's that like? Well, actually, I haven't worked for Baseball Prospectus for about five years now, uh, but it was it was an enjoyable time. They had a change of uh, ownership and they, uh, decided to bring their own people in, which was you know certainly understandable. But it was interesting. It was something different. I was really the first, uh, I guess you would call it traditional baseball writer to uh, to do the statistical type analysis and blend it in with regular reporting. So. You know, it was interesting. It was groundbreaking. It was something no one else was doing. And, uh, you know, it was a really good experience. I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was a fun run for about five or six years there. Absolutely. Yeah, you're you're very much kind of a pioneer in the, um, you know, mo- taking the new information that has become that has become popular the last, you know, five to ten years and using it back then, not to the extent that it is now, but kind of integrating it back then. Um, did you get any backlash when you were when you were trying to integrate these maybe these different stats or this different way of looking at the game? Did you get any backlash from anybody saying, Oh, that's just not gonna work, people aren't interested in that? Excuse me. Well, I will say this, when when I first started in 2008, managers, players, coaches didn't know nearly much about the sabermetrics, the advanced stats, advanced analysis, whatever you want to call it, than they do today. So there was only a, a certain percentage of players or managers I could really talk to about it and have them understand and really have a conversation. So that did kind of limit uh you know, what I could write about, who I could interview with my stories. And uh, that certainly began to change each year. And now, uh, you know, even the uh, old school baseball people at least have the understanding of the basics of sabermetrics. So uh, I would say that's uh, that's changed a lot. And if I were starting today instead of in 2008, I think I would find a lot more players and a lot more managers. Well, in fact, every manager now, I'd be able to ask uh, some questions, maybe not deep uh, Algebra 3 type questions, but, but certainly, you know, sabermetrically based questions and be able to, to have them understand to be on the same page in an interview. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems like that's that's taking over the game. I know um, my team, the Twins, we just hired uh, the youngest ma- major league manager, Rocco Baldelli. I want to say he's 38, 39, something like that. Very analytics oriented. Comes from that Tampa system where they're used to doing the opener 
do you think that the opener strategy and then the and then you know using the primary, do you think that's something that is going to catch on more in baseball, or do you think it's going to kind of stay isolated between a few different teams? Yeah, that's a good, great question. I, the general managers' meetings in the man and the uh, winter meetings, I, I put that question to some GMs and managers, and it's kind of split. I, I really think I really think it depends on the composition of your roster. For example, I talked to Terry Francona of the Indians about it. They have five good major league starters, so they really don't need to use an opener. But I think in case of the Twins last year, they began to use the opener the last couple months of the season. And talking to Derek Falvey about it, he felt that was the way to go. They just didn't have five guys that they thought they could go and send them out there and pitch six innings every day through the rotation. So that was one way to do it and, and kind of minimize some of the younger starters' exposure to the middle of the lineup in the third time through the order. So to not to give a non-answer, but I do think teams that are a little shy on starting pitching depth will certainly look to use it. But I think the teams that still have good starting pitching will will continue to go with their traditional method. Uh, but it'll be interesting in the long run to see where it goes, if this is really the beginning of a major trend or 10 years from now, everybody uses it or not. But uh, I do think you'll see more teams at least experiment with it in 2019. Do you think it's going to lead to the end of starting pitching wins as a statistic? Well, that's a great question, and I've thought about it. And, you know, we're still so new into this. The Rays didn't start this into June so, or May, I guess. Uh it's really hard to say at this point, but, uh, you know, I think if this goes on for a few years, then I think, you know, you've got to adjust uh, not only the way you look at things statistically, but also a pay rate for pitchers. I mean, I, w- I would think if I were an agent of a pitcher and my guy only started three games but pitched, say, 140 innings, I would want him compensated as like a fourth or fifth starter. And uh, sure. it'll be interesting to to see how many teams uh, go with this. So, you know, it's still so early. It's hard for me to really detect the trend, but it's certainly going to be fascinating to follow here in these next couple of years, and especially next year now that uh, a couple other teams besides Tampa Bay have tried it. Now, you talked about, you know, teams, you think that teams that are more likely to use it are teams that don't have solid five one through five in the rotation. And that leads me into the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, you guys got Chris Archer from the Tampa Bay Rays last year. And you gave up, you know, you gave up pretty good, pretty good players. You gave up Shane Baz, Tyler Glasnow, and Austin Meadows. And Glasnow and Meadows were very, very high-ranking prospects in the Pirates organization. What's the feeling in Pittsburgh and kind of what's the uh, what's the ball club giving out about kind of how they feel coming into the 2019 season? Well, they, they feel they can contend. They feel that, you know, they haven't made any major moves this winter and they probably won't. They feel they made their major move for 2019 and 2018. Is when you said they gave up quite a bit to the Tampa Bay Rays for Chris Archer, who was uh, signed through next season and has very, even by the Pirates' standards, affordable club options for 2020 and 2021. And they also uh, traded for Rangers closer Keona Kelly, who uh, won't close here because the Pirates have Felipe Vasquez, who's uh, developed into one of the better closers in the National League. But Kelly certainly 
will be a good eighth inning setup man. Uh, now in for a full season two in 2019. But Archer, uh, you know, Archer slides into a pretty good young. You know, Archer's not as young anymore. He's 30, but you have James Tyone, who's really his own. You have uh, Trevor Williams, who had a, a phenomenal second half, and you have Joe Musgrove, who was the key to the four-player package that the Pirates got from the Astros for Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole. Uh, the last yeah. game. And he is uh, he is another uh, good-looking young pitcher. So, you know, you have those four, and and then uh, there will be a competition for the number five spot in spring training. And, you know, you ask about openers, uh, Pirates may go to that for the fifth starter. They haven't pulled that out. Now, obviously, you know the NL Central is a is uh, you know probably I would say not as strong as the other two divisions, the NL West and the NL East. But you look at the NL Central, and it's still very very potent. You know the Cubs are still very good; they have a lot of talent. The Cardinals uh, made probably the biggest move of the offseason so far in acquiring Paul Goldschmidt, even though it's only for one season. The Brewers went to the NLCS last year. The Reds are, you know, supposedly in talks with the Indians for Corey Kluber. Talk talk about where the uh, Pirates kind of kind of look to go in the division. It looks like they're kind of, you know, maybe third, fourth place. But, you know, if injuries happen to, to the Cardinals or the Cubs are ineffective or struggle, you know, it could be anybody's division. Talk about the uh, – talk about how they uh, kind of feel like – you know, you mentioned that they were – they feel like they can contend, but um, – how much has the division improved, and what are the what are the Pirates going to have to do to contend? Well, you know, I would respectfully disagree with that the National League Central is, is the weakest division in the National League because you had four teams that finished over 500 this past season. The only division in the major leagues where that happened. Uh, you know, you have the, the Brewers went to the NL Championship Series. Uh, took the Dodgers to game seven, the Cubs, uh, you know, they kind of flamed out in the wild card and the Cardinals certainly with Goldschmidt and Andrew Miller are going to be uh, a much better team. You know, I think what, what gives the Pirates a chance is that starting pitching and a pretty good bullpen. They can put a good starter out at least four days and they signed Jordan Lyles, uh, the right-hander who's pitched for a number of teams mm-hmm. most recently in Washington and they feel he could possibly be the number five starter. So I think that's what gives the Pirates hope. Uh, their lineup is so-so. They had a lot of guys underachieve uh, last year, and if some of those uh, players get back to the level they've played at in the past, for example, Josh Bell, the first baseman, hit 26 homers two years ago in 2017 as a rookie, and that number dipped to 12. Uh, Starling Marte yeah. had a – a good year, but not a great year. He's certainly capable of more. Uh, so I think, you know, I mean, a lot of things have to go right because it is a very tough division. But, uh, you know, when you have starting pitching, when you have that pitching, it can keep you in games and give you a chance every day. You're going to be dangerous to a certain extent. And if that pitching holds up and they, they catch a few breaks along the way, I, I think certainly they could, uh, they could contend. I, I don't know if they can – make the playoffs uh, without some help and without some good fortune. But I, I think we'll certainly be a competitive team. Now you talk about making the playoffs. The Pirates were kind of infamous for not making the playoffs for for many years until recently when they made the playoffs again um, a few years ago. What was that like that first year that, the, that they got back in? What was the, What was the feeling in the city like? 
Well, it was unlike anything I'd seen, and I've lived here my whole life, and I'll be 55 years old in a few weeks. Uh, you know, I was here, I was 15 when they won the World Series in 1979, and obviously that was a big to-do. But they had not even had a winning season since 1992 when they made it to the wild card game in 2013. And that 20 years is the longest uh, streak of losing seasons in any of the four major professional sports, just not baseball, but the NFL, the NBA, and the the NHL as well. So, uh, you know, it was uh, quite a scene that night when they played the Cincinnati Reds at PNC Park. Uh, As Neil Walker, the former Pirates second baseman, put it, you had 20 years of frustration all day for people to drink, and it all kind of came together. (laughs) PNC Park was very emotional. The Pirates beat the Reds. Marlon Byrd had a couple home runs. Russell Martin hit a home run right after Johnny Cueto had dropped the ball while on the stretch on the mound, and uh, he's really rattled by the crowd. You know, the only unfortunate thing for the Pirates from, from 2013 to 15 is they never won a playoff series. They did win the wild card in 13 and lost to the Cardinals in the LDS in five games, but in 14 they ran into Madison Bumgarner, who went on to have a historic postseason run like no one else in baseball history. Then in 2015, they had the second most wins in baseball with 98. They happened to be in the same division with the Cardinals, who won 100 games. And then they ran into Jake Arrieta, who had had the best second half uh, ever of any pitcher. He'd only give up like three or four runs the entire second half, and they got shut out. And uh, that was too bad because I thought the last of those three teams – was really an outstanding team, a team that was good enough to win it all. They had starting pitching. They had good relief pitching. They had a deep lineup. They had a good, versatile bench. They really had everything you'd want to win a championship. And they had a had the very uh, set misfortune of running into the wrong pitcher at the wrong time. Seems like in, you know, it seems like in the playoffs, especially, that's you kind of really only need two guys. You know, if you've been counting on five guys the whole year, you know, you look at you look at the the Red Sox this year, and they had David Price and Chris Sale, and nobody could touch them in the in the playoffs. And you mentioned Madison Bumgarner, and the Dodgers have had Clayton Kershaw. So, yeah, it only takes one. But yeah, that those Pirates teams were fun to watch, and it was fun as a as a baseball fan of a who's had long suffering losing seasons. Nothing to the extent the Pirates have had, but it's good to see those kind of small market you know, smaller teams get in and challenge the big teams and, and do well. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. You know, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard for, for small market and even mid-market teams because there is an economic disparity without a salary cap or a salary floor. You know, you do have, uh, you know, some teams with uh, two, two and a half times the payroll of other teams. And, uh, you know, it's fun. It's fun to see Oakland get in. It was fun to see the Twins uh, show that they could get in. They won, I guess, six division titles in nine years. Uh, you know, it was fun to yep. see the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, who have the worst drawing uh, attendance year in and year out, make it to the World Series in 08. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it, it's very tough. And that's the unfortunate thing where if you're a Yankees fan, a Red Sox fan, a Dodgers fan, a Cubs fan – you can pretty much count on your team having the kind of funds, having the type of roster it'll contend every year. And that's tough for, for fans of like the Twins and the Pirates because just from a financial standpoint, 
they don't have the money, they don't have the resources to put a contending team on the field every year. So you have to kind of build up to it, hope you hit on some good young players out of your farm system that don't cost a whole lot of money, fill in the gaps with some, you know, modestly priced free agents and hope it all comes together for a few years. And once you get to the playoffs, you get hot and win it all. So uh, it, it is tough, but it is fun, too, to see those type of teams get in, no doubt. Absolutely. Let's switch gears here, John, a little bit. Let's talk about the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. We just recently had the announcements um, on the modern era, and I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that ballot because it seemed like the guys who got in were really kind of controversial. What were your thoughts on it? Well, the Harold Baines thing was – and Harold Baines is a nice man. He had a very good career. He was a good player, a good citizen, but he was not a Hall of Famer. He was on our, our baseball writer's ballot five years, never got more than 6% of the vote. And for him, to, for the, the Veterans Committee or the New Era, New Age, New Era Committee, whatever it was, the official title was, to vote him into the Hall of Fame after he'd been – projected by as many as 94% of the writers voting was a real slap in the face to our, our organization, I thought. And I think anybody who really knows baseball knows that Harold Baines is not a Hall of Fame player. And, you know, it lowers the standards for everybody. It lowers the standards for the great players who are in the Hall of Fame. And it's like, okay, Absolutely. well, how big of, a, big of an honor is this if Harold Baines gets in? And I don't mean to pick on Harold Baines. He just – happened to be a guy who had a lot of people on his side on the committee, and he got in. You know, I had no problem with Lee Smith. I know some people did. I mean, he, when he did retire, he was the all-time leader in saves. And, you know, he was a he was a very good relief pitcher, and I think you can make a case that he should be in. I, I don't know if he, I necessarily would vote him in. I voted for him a few years. He was on the ballot, but then when the ballot started to backlog with better players, he fell off my ballot because you could only vote for 10 players at the maximum. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think you can make a case Lee Smith's a Hall of Famer, but boy, you can slice and dice Harold Baines's career forever. And uh, I'm I'm sorry, he just he comes up short. And I just, uh, you know, I, I feel bad for him because it's going to be hard for him. I mean, it should be one of the great moments of his life and he's going to have a cloud hanging over his head when he goes in. Yeah. But, uh, this really isn't a Hall of Famer, and it seems like that's kind of how that, it seems kind of like that's how the the voters have been lately. I mean, you look at the other two um, two other guys who have gotten in from the from their respective committees, not from the main Hall of Fame writers, have been Jim Rice and Jack Morris. And you could make the same case for both of those guys that you just made for Harold Baines. You know, they're they're they were in the Hall. They should be in the Hall of Very Good. You know, in Jack Morris's case, he had a couple. He had a World Series moment or two, but you know, it's one of those things where it doesn't seem like there's a clear cut yes or no that they're Hall of Famers. So, you know, let's let's uh, let's get into a little Hall of Fame. Um, let's play a little game called Will They or Won't They. I'm going to give you okay. a name of somebody who is on the Hall of Fame ballot, and I want you to give me. We're going to do rapid fire. I want you to give me yes or no. Will that player, either this year or within the time they're on the ballot, get inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame? Okay. 
Mariano Rivera. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I voted for him, and uh, yeah, I think he'll he'll easily get 75% necessary to get in. I think he'll be over 90%. Roger Clemens. I vote for him. I know some people don't. They say he was a steroid guy. Uh, he was a great pitcher. He was a great pitcher before there were questions about steroid use. Uh, you know, my, my theory is, and I know we'll get to Barry Bonds, and I'll give you the same answer I'll give you about Roger Clemens. I don't think you can just automatically these guys never played. I mean, they they were, two, you know, they were two of the greatest players in the history of baseball, and I don't think it's my job write them out of the history books. I, I mean, they were great players. They're Hall of Famers. Whether you like them or not, whether you agree with what happened, and again, you're in a little slippery slope here because neither one ever failed a drug test. I mean, there's certainly circumstantial evidence, but there's no hard evidence that either one used performance-enhancing drugs, and I have a hard time when there's no evidence to vote somebody out of the Hall of Fame. I think it makes it a lot more difficult, too, in the case of Roger Clemens and definitely with Barry Bonds, that they both kind of had, um, I guess you could say, prickly relations with the media. You know, I think that, that hasn't helped their case either. Let's, uh, let's, let's, say, let's do this. Roy Halladay, yes or no? I voted for him. I, if you look at his career numbers, they're probably a little bit short. Hall of Famer, but boy, when he was in his prime there, the last seven or eight years of his career, he was as good as anybody, and I think that makes up for the fact he's just a little shy on wins and strikeouts uh, for what you normally would consider a Hall of Famer, but uh, a great pitcher uh, who came back from adversity. His career had gone so sideways in Toronto, and they sent him all the way back to A-ball and had him work his way back to the big leagues, and uh, yeah, to me, uh, I don't know if he'll get in. I think that's an iffy one this year. I think he'll be one of those who eventually gets in uh, after he's on the ballot a few years. But I voted for him, and to me, he's a he's a Hall of Famer. Kurt Schilling. Yeah, kind of kind of the same boat. You look at his numbers, and they're probably just a touch short his career numbers of, of being a, a, somebody you would say is an automatic Hall of Famer. But again. He was one of the best pitchers for about a seven or eight year span, and you know I take into account certain moments in baseball, and uh, you know I know he's a polarizing figure now that he isn't playing. I certainly understand that, and I know some people don't think he should be in because of that. But I think back to the 2004 season, the whole bloody sock games in the postseason, him pitching on a, with a cadaver's <laughs> ligament in his ankle, and uh, I mean that's right. pretty amazing stuff. You, you combine that with the fact that he had a good career, and I think what he did in that postseason. Also in 2001 for the Diamondbacks, people almost forget that him and Randy Johnson basically pitched the Diamondbacks to an upset of the Yankees in that World Series. Uh, I think when, when you throw in postseason, that certainly, uh, that certainly, to me, pushes him over the top. There's a whole debate in one of the Facebook groups I'm in about Kurt Schilling, um, not so much related to his Hall of Fame, but which which Schilling duo was better, Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling or Kurt Schilling and Pedro Martinez? And it's an interesting debate. Um, Let's do Larry Walker. Yes, 
I voted for him every year he's been on the ballot, and I know he's probably not going to get in. He only has, I believe, this is his next to last year on the ballot. Uh, to me, he's a very, very underrated player, and uh, you know he spent his whole career in the National League, and the whole his whole career I was covering uh, the Pirates, so I saw him quite a bit. You know he gets dinged for playing in Colorado, but uh, you look at his numbers; they weren't all based on the years he played for the Rockies. He was one of the best players in baseball, and he's at the Expos. He was a true five-tool guy. Uh, you know he didn't get noticed because he was playing in Canada. Then he gets dinged in Colorado, and, hey, he was still playing well in St. Louis, and he retired. He was still on top of his game. He wasn't a guy that hung on too long. I mean, he was still a productive player, and the Cardinals wanted him to continue playing, and they were quite disappointed when he decided that was it. He wasn't going to play anymore because he was still a a very productive member of that team, a very key part of that lineup. So, to me, he's a Hall of Famer. I I don't seem to have (laughs) – a whole lot of people on my side of that argument, but I'll argue Larry Walker all day. He should be in. He was a, a great player who was very underrated. For the record, I'm on your side on that one. I agree completely. I think Larry Walker deserves to be in. I also think the next guy deserves to be in. Fred McGriff. I have a hard time with that one. I waver back and forth. I, I must admit, I haven't voted for him, and mainly it's because of so many other great players on the ballot during his uh, time he's been up for election. Uh, You know, he had a great career, but I know this sounds silly. To me, he's just a little short. He doesn't quite pass the smell test, the the eye test with me. He was a good player, a real good player. But I don't think I don't I just don't think him in as Hall of Famer. And uh, you know, I know I know there is a certain segment of writers who would vehemently disagree with me on this, like I do people with Larry Walker, but that is just how I view him. I think uh, you know, in the Hall very good, he would take his place there, but I just don't think the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, although now the Harold Baines is in, you could probably make a case for two hundred guys to get in. Hopefully one of them being Edgar Martinez, because I think Edgar Martinez deserves to be in. We got two names left here. Let's do Mike Mussina. Oh, I do too, by the way. I voted for him, yeah. Mike Mussina. Yes, and I voted for him every year on the ballot. You know, people say wins don't matter. Well, they matter to pitchers. Pitchers like those W's next to their name in a box score. He won 270 games, and, uh, you know, everyone says, well, you didn't have that great season. He didn't have that Cy Young season. We had a lot of very good seasons, a whole bunch of very good seasons. And he went out on top. He was a 20-game winner in his last year in the big leagues, which is pretty much unheard of. Uh, To me, he's a Hall of Famer. He was one of the best pitchers of his generation. And you match him up among the all-time greats, and, again, if you just want to take best, if it was just the Hall of Best Seasons, he wouldn't get in. But you look at his career and his total body of work, as the NCAA Basketball Committee loves to use that term, uh, certainly his sure. body of work uh, deserves to have him in. Well, we're going we're gonna to end the uh, Will They, Won't They with an interesting name. Um, this guy's name, I've seen it a lot on Twitter, and it seems to be kind of starting a, uh, a pretty – a pretty uh, heavy discussion. Billy Wagner. Where do you sit on Billy Wagner as a Hall of Famer? 
I haven't voted for him, and again, it's because there's been so many good players on the ballot. Uh, he just, to me, he hasn't been one of the ten best players on the ballot. Uh, I think you can make a case for him, and I think Lee Smith going in will help him because it's another reliever that you can compare him with that's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, to me, he falls a little short, but not a whole lot short. But, uh, again, kind of like Fred McGriff, he's up against that borderline. But to me, he hasn't crossed it. You know, the great thing is guys are on the ballot 10 years, and that gives, you know, that gives the voters time to have their perspectives changed as time goes on. When I first started voting 20 years ago, I thought it was kind of silly. If, I figure if a guy's a Hall of Famer the first time on the ballot, he should be a Hall of Famer every time. But then over time, I came to realize the little more removed the player is from his career, you kind of see things a little differently sometimes. And, uh, you know, a guy like Billy Wagner could be that guy for me. I haven't voted for him now, but I wouldn't rule out voting for him before he, uh, is, before he would leave the ballot. You know, John, we got to wrap this up. I'm keeping you past your half an hour, but there's so many interesting names on this Hall of Fame ballot. There's, you know, you look at guys who – who could be in just specifically on defense alone and you're looking at, or who could make a case for it. And you're looking at a guy like Scott Rowland. I mean, obviously he was a very offensive player. Andrew Jones, he was an offensive player, but he also won several gold gloves. And then you've got a guy like Jim Edmonds, who doesn't seem to get any love at all, but he was a very, very good player as well. And Omar Vizquel. So, this is, this is a debate that's going to rage on, I think, just kind of until they uh, make the announcements. But before we go, give me the one name that we haven't mentioned that you think deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and it can be on this ballot or all time. Dick Allen, if you're going to go all time, and I, I know you're going sure. back a few years, he retired in the early 80s, uh, played mainly in the 60s and, and 70s, uh, actually retired in the late 70s, uh, think about it. He was one of the great third basemen of all time. You look at his numbers, and you put his numbers up with any third baseman other than probably Mike Schmidt, maybe George Brett. But other than that, there's been no other third baseman in the history of the game better than him. He was a controversial figure in the 60s at a time when black athletes were expected to keep their mouths shut and not complain about anything. That hurt him in the eyes of the baseball establishment, the old-time baseball writers. And I think that sure. helped conspire to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. And it's a shame because he was a tremendous, terrific player when I was a kid. And uh, you look at the numbers and whether you saw, I mean, if you saw him play, you know he was a Hall of Famer. And if you didn't see him play, you look at those numbers and compare them to people that's in the Hall of Fame. And most every third baseman in the Hall of Fame doesn't match up with Dick Allen. And my my answer, I actually have two. Um, as a homer, as a Twins fan, I'm going to obviously say Tony Oliva won batting titles in his first three seasons. I think it's unbelievable that he's not in the Hall of Fame only because he had knee problems. He's the first. Uh, he was the first DH in American League history to hit a home run. If you're at, if you're looking all time, I think for me it's Marvin Miller. You just kind of have to look at what Marvin Miller did for the players and for the game and the and and helping form the players union and just being able to be there for the players and be that voice that they kind of needed. I think it's a darn shame that Marvin Miller's not in and I will throw one other name out there and I think it's Buck O'Neill. I think uh I think it's a darn travesty that Buck O'Neill is not in the Hall of Fame. 
they put 17 people from the Negro Leagues in the Hall of Fame in one year, and he wasn't one of them, and that's uh, that's amazing. I mean, you talk about a guy that carried the torch for the Negro Leagues, kept the kept the memories alive, was a walking encyclopedia, a walking history book of the Negro Leagues. Plus, he was a good player. I mean, it wasn't just like he was an average player. Uh, that one, and I agree with Marvin Miller, uh, he'll never get in. Uh, there are just too many people on ownership side uh, that keep him out, that, that resent what he did for the players and, and bringing free agency into the game. And uh, it, it's sad. And, uh, you know, Tony Oliva, I think you make a pretty good case. And I, I think at some point you may see him get in with one of those veterans committees. I, I think he's a guy like we just talked about a few minutes ago. The more time goes by, the more re- you realize how good of a player he was. And I think, you know, he played in an era when there were so many great hitters. And, and like you said, he had knee problems that, that kind of cut his prime a little short. And I think he, he kind of gets forgotten a little bit because he played in an era when there were so many good players at the same time. But Tony Oliva was a heck of a hitter, a heck of a player, and, and a really nice man. I've had a chance to talk to him in spring training now and again over the years. Uh, when the Twins have played the Pirates, he's a special instructor in spring training. And, uh, you know, uh, I would uh, I would not close the door on him getting in at some point. Interesting, interesting. John, I cannot thank you enough. I could go another hour with you easily just on the Hall of Fame. I'm going to let you go. I hope you'll come back on the show sometime and maybe we can do a full – you know, a full-length show on, you know, the Hall of Fame, maybe after, maybe this summer when the Hall of Fame ballots are announced, um, you know, or when they're inducted, rather. We can come on and have that discussion, and we'll check in and see how the Pirates are doing. John, thank you so much for giving me half an hour plus of your time tonight. I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It was very nice talking with you. It was great talking to you, too. Thank you, John. Merry Christmas to you and your family, and stay safe. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you, too. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was John Parado. He is a Pittsburgh native. He is, as you heard in the interview, he's been voting in the Hall of Fame for 20 years. This guy is about as well-respected in the game as anybody else. Uh, you talk about the the Buster Olneys, the Ken Rosenthal's, the the guys like that. You get all those guys in there, and he, he's right at the top of that list for most respected. So it was interesting to hear uh, hear what his thoughts were on Larry Walker. You know, he, he kind of has Larry Walker and Fred McGriff on that same kind of plane of yes, no, Fred McGriff kind of teeters back and forth where he's got Larry Walker as a solid yes. So it'll be interesting to see. Give him a follow on Twitter. He is fantastic. As I said, I'm probably going to take a holiday break from the podcast, so I will probably touch base with most of you in 2019. And the first episode will be most likely a collector's corner episode, and it will be historic. You do not want to miss it. It will be the biggest episode ever of the show about the show. I can promise you that. I hope you guys have a great holiday season. Stay safe. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Whatever it is that you celebrate, please celebrate it safely. Do not drink and drive. Spend it with the the people that you love. And remember to always share and spread kindness, love, and happiness to everybody around you. And with that, 
We're less than 100 days until the opening day of the baseball season. Thank you, guys, and we'll see you down the road in podcast land. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 